Welcome, dear readers, to Cover My Ass, where baffling books are reviewed but not read. My name is Kaki. And I'm Kay. And remember, we only judge a book by its cover. The remembering, that's the hard part yes. these days. Because as I recall, and by recall, I mean listening back to our entire back catalogue several mm-hmm. times, you found the source of the mysterious red ink yes. that has been uh, uh, falling from the ceiling of your magical library, where that's we right. find ourselves amidst the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and which continually erases my memory every time that I get in contact with right. it. And you found the still... That the funky little raccoons were that using are somehow yes. part of our library, yeah. And you shut that down. That, right. I don't think that was it because oh, it's still good. happening. Oh dear! I told you to like keep an eye out on the floor for any drips that have come down from the ceiling. Have you been doing that? How would I know? Oh, because you keep forgetting. Correct. This makes reverse engineering it very difficult. Like I've run out of space to write on myself. Okay. Uh, hmm. But I've also noticed that the red ink tends to erase other inks. So when I write yeah, notes on anything it does else, does have that problem. Yes. I've been thinking about marketing as a tattoo removal service, but it's not really gotten anywhere. See, at least it hasn't done that. Like, mm. as long as I keep my sleeves covered, I can still, I can still, still yes. do. So we can still do the podcast because I Good. can, I can remember the script, so I can, can remember. Still let read, me see it down here. Can still read our books and Cover do the reviews. Covermyascast.com and at Covermyascast. I should have Twitter. written that somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. So all, all of that's there. So I, I'm feeling positive. Oh, good. Uh, this, despite, I've got to say, this worryingly vulnerable position that I'm in because I just never know when I'm going to have me old memory erased. I can leave you a bag of... Bag? That'll help. I was going to say a bag of... I can fun- just stuff a bag over my head. Yes, that could work. Have you advised me to do that before? No, I haven't. Like, hey, Kaki, have you ever thought of stucking, sticking your head in a bag? No. I mean, okay. I wouldn't well, I'd say that. You know, it'd be almost like calling someone coyote ugly. I don't know what that Coyotes are handsome creatures. They are. Coyote uglies, it refers to the idea that coyotes and many other critters are known to gnaw their own leg off if they're caught in a trap. Okay. The concept of coyote ugly is, is if you've had a bit of a drunk, drunken stupor night and you wake up next to a bed partner and no. they're, they're asleep on your arm and <laughs> yeah. they are so ugly that you gnaw your own arm off so you can get out of bed without having to wake them up and get out of the house. So that's what coyote ugly means. Understood. At least you didn't suggest I, I wear two bags because that would be uh, that would be more in line with what you just just told double me. bagging yes and also no tea bagging but to come to what the- kind of a library is this well like you're not supposed to dunk your tea bag that's just like bad tea <laughs> protocol protocol yes yeah. what i was going to offer you was mm-hmm. a bag of fun-sized kit kats so you could maybe bribe tristan to uh oh. perform a little task to help you out now I have a question about about what does fun size mean? Are they extra big yeah, they're or small, extra small? They're small. I oh, know. So they I mean, are, that's yeah. what they call them. It's like uh, yeah, fun sizes. I guess one. It's like Halloween season's coming up. Oh, that is true. So or yeah, perhaps has it, it is even been, already. It might have just been on sale. Oh, I don't know. It's around Halloween season, so you know, fun sized <laughs> bags of like yeah. for trick and treating bags of candy are available everywhere. So I think they're, they'd probably be amenable to uh, being bribed by you, or at least goods may exchange for services or something. See if they're the ones who were actually responsible for it. Because this is my worry. It yeah. sounded like you had this uh, in the bag of fun sidekicks right. cats, as the expression goes. But what if they're not responsible for the drippings of No, of but the, they can, the might still ink? be able to help you out. Maybe put up little warning signs or... Uh, Maybe they wield other inks. I don't know. Hey, oh. have, have we ever gotten into this? Because you've told me to stay away from the red ink because yes. it's like memory erasure and apparently yeah. like world-dominating schemes that this ink seems to have as it seeps out of the grimoire cage. But what about the other inks? Like, have we really gotten into that? No, there's a big variety of them. Exactly. Some of them are more like, useful than others. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the useful ones. Let's get into the ink lore. Oh, dear. There's the uh, archival library standard ink, which mm. is just black or blue usually, but it's... Is that India ink? 
India ink is basically just finely ground carbon in alcohol, if I'm not mistaken, or at least oh, some wow. solvent. So that's, uh, yeah, it, it has a good purpose because it doesn't fade. Because right, it's, because it's the actual carbon is it, left behind exactly, as a deposit. as a deposit. So it has, that's it, clever. It has a disadvantage that it doesn't always permeate into the paper as well, especially if you're using stuff like vellum and uh, things like that, where you're writing on the, on the on skin the surface. rather than it actually drawing into the paper. Into the fibre, right. Uh, so there's the uh, turquoise ink, which is... Let's not discuss oh, that like one here. Oh, I like how you said it. Yeah, let's not discuss that one here. That's one's... Uh, oh, is that for the 18 plus after dark version of this podcast that'll yeah, be coming that, out continuously would, for 95 would, episodes? Would it be more suitable for, yeah? Yes. Shh. Oh, don't tell the listeners that, they, that we have a secret, a secret, sexy podcast that they can't listen Where to. Where we only review Chuck Tingle books. <laughs> Didn't we promise to do that last time? Oh, I don't think so. We, we've never not reviewed the book that we did. <laughs> oh, dear. Have you been hit by the ink? Oh, not that I'm aware of. That's the first time. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. <laughs> right. Okay. We should probably re- review this book before we forget what we're, what we're here to do. So what do we have in store for our readers this week? Ah, yes. This book is edited by... Esther Friesner. Yes. So I don't think she actually wrote it, but she edited it. Yes, and she's one of our favourites. Like, her work has been featured on the show before. I think it was Chicks and Chained Males. Yes, that's probably the one. In episode 31. And, and like, all of her oeuvre is just fantastic. There are these, there's these beautiful, like, sexy fantasy romps that, with the most glorious covers, with delightfully endowed young men and women and people. And, and, and yes. Fantastic. Usually having a great old time. Yeah. As in, we see here in the, the book's title is Fangs for the Memories. Fangs for the Memories. I wonder if they just if she sells these books to her publisher just based on the title. That's, because if she, Sounds you know, reasonable. A publisher worth their salt would certainly buy these books instantly before any story has been written. Just these titles are so great. So what we see here is a buxom vampiress, well, vampire really, just yeah. rising up at out of her coffin. And the thing that jumps out to me immediately, mm-hmm. it's not just the, how did it sell Politely, the the bushel of wood in front of the cabin. Yeah, but the fact that she's wearing a crucifix. I noticed that. Yes, she's clearly drawing attention to her buxom cleavage. Yes, which goes the, all the, the way down to her belly button. Yes, she's got a very revealing corset that yes. I thought was a, a, a really quite cunning, a beautiful gown, uh, also split way down the middle just to show off what do you the mean, uh, gown. It's like barely hot pants. Oh, she's wearing a cape and yes, a, that's uh, right. And some sleeved thing with very uh, goth sleeves. Well, at the time, they were just the fashion, right? Like, I the goth guess. is a, sort of a revival. Well, like the, with, with the frayed edges and everything. Oh, okay. And Maybe she's got a, a, ma- got a match, matching choker to keep her cloak cl- uh, shut and uh, matching the belt buckle. Oh, yeah. Which is very high belt buckles, like waist buckle, waist belt. Until about the 20th True. century, that was the style. Like, pants right. yes. cinched around the waist, because that's where you're narrowest. Like, yeah, that sort of it does make sense, It's a really good I place suppose. to cinch. Long black hair, ruby lips, got a bit of an addiction to purple eyeshadow, I noticed. Yes, there's that sort of confrontational, uh, welcome to my parlour, look that she's got. And yeah, the crucifix in between the twins, Now that was such a bold choice. Yes. Because I guess it, it exemplifies some aspects of her character that, we're, uh, that we'll get to and that I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to explore with you. Love the cover. Let's get on with the book. It's published by Bain again, which uh, we seem to do a lot of books published by they Bain. They are the yeah. bane of our existence. Well, and the fruit of their Labors or something along those lines. The fruit of their loins, yeah. Yes, the the lady on the front cover, we will soon learn, is a, a young woman by the name of Bamberella. Yes. Who is... Uh, what a charming name. Who is the, the daughter of Duke Ivan Ovanovich Ivanovav IV... Uh, the fourth, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
Yes, the son of Liv, Ivan Ivanovich, Ivan, the, 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 also the Iv, the fourth. The fourth, yes. yes. There, there you go. So, and she is uh, basically in her uh, father's castle and uh, being told that uh, she is going to meet one of her suitors. She's a yeah. young lady of somewhere in the teenagers, which at the time would be considered marrying age. 18 is about spinsterhood in the century in which this, uh, this takes place, and she's... I mean, she's Ivan's only daughter and therefore the, the apple of his eye, yes. but also the instrument of his future, of his legacy. Yes. Yeah, Marrying I mean, her off to the to, appropriate suitor is a right. huge responsibility so, as yes, father. The first, uh, the first young man who is uh, ushered into the uh, into the castle is a young man by the name of Ivan Amandic. Uh, uh, Amandic, I think you, you, you would pronounce this. <laughs> just, just to be clear, it was Ivan Amandic and yes, I'm, Ivan, Ivan Amandic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, 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 No, I've got it. I've got it. So, like, she clearly she <laughs> this uh, is such uh, a good book already. <laughs> clearly chosen based on the fr- on the first name and like keeping up the family and uh, the the family naming tradition. Oh yeah. But I'm afraid that the surname is a bit more of a uh, giveaway to his person and character because he's like it, it, they, they, him and uh, Bambarella don't really click it off. No, it seems like he's much more interested in talking to her dad yes. and and keep tittering at his. At little jokes and retiring back to the boudoir. It's almost as if wanting to meet his buxom daughter was a pretext to some other interest. Yes, that he, I think I getting to know the Duke himself a little bit better. And I think the fact that we see him a few times later in the first few chapters of the book suggests that he's yeah. like gotten yeah. a position at court. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we all know which position he got. Yes. In the in the words of so many archaeologists, when they encounter like Greek pottery with butt fucking, yes. they appear to be very good friends. That's it. Yes, <laughs> I, I heard. About about uh, archaeologist party the other day, they'd found an old house and there were some the skeleton had been dug up. Oh, but fun. they were missing one part of the leg bone and they were desperately trying to find it. So it was quite a shindig. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that that was the the theme of the party. Yes. The next young man to get this opportunity to woe young Bambarella is a young man then by the name of Bram Stroker, who uh, <laughs> also doesn't turn yes. out to be particularly well interested <laughs> no, in uh, right. Bambarella. <laughs> yeah. Although they get on just fine. They're quite happy to talk about the latest plays that they've seen. He's, he's absolutely, he's not a very handy dude. He seems... But not to her. <laughs> 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 yeah, I liked how he was a, a sort of a free thinker and, a, and, an, and an independent spirit. Like he, he didn't, he, he doesn't reach for other people to to satisfy needs that he's perfectly capable of exactly. fulfilling himself. He's like a very independent young man, maybe a little bit too independent for uh, uh, the the Duke's tastes, and especially for Bambarella's taste. And young Ivan Amandich was, yeah, he, yeah. The him and the Duke are like fast friends by now. <laughs> they appear to be very good friends. <laughs> Yeah, so she's not doing. That's two for two. She's not doing she's that not doing well. Her, no. on the uh, so, yeah. she, so she decides to uh, go talk to uh, her uh, lady in waiting and also her uh, young best friend. Yes, uh, a young lass from the village by the name of Alota Horgasm. <laughs> yes, she's the she's the daughter of the local wise woman. She has a lot of wisdom to impart. She's pejoratively called the hag, as medicine women frequently were. But of course, because of the status that she's endured, she's uh, a bit of a hag queen. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, don't, don't, don't do that when I'm swallowing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if I had a penny. <laughs> I mean, she is very we much... We are such a- very good friends. <laughs> 
They go sneaking out as young women are wont to do. They sneak out from under their parents' attention that, and going and basically going out in the town and being a little bit adventurous and uh, basically getting yeah. her first proper introduction to the outside world, which hasn't been carefully curated by her father. Yes. You know, young girls out in the local taverns and they manage to, for some reason, she's not recognized by any of the locals as being the daughter of the Duke. I guess, I guess because she's been kept. Most people won't have actually seen her other than standing on a balcony and, uh, and waving. Sort of waving. Yeah. Hello, citizens. Hello. Yes. And they run into, in the pub, they run into a man by the name of Dr. Heavensing, who is... Uh, Dr. Heavensing. Dr. Van Heavensing. Oh, that's that's right. And he goes, heaven oh. Heaven oh, yes, there you go. <laughs> yes. Do you need any heaven? Oh. And who basically is what <laughs> wondering uh, adventurer or a person of uh, unclear means who is uh, yes. making their way across the uh, the country. Seeking adventure and, like... She is immediately captivated by the dashing independence and, and capability of this gentleman, and she and she wants to she wants to help, or I'm sorry, heaven him in his uh, in his various quests and, and and learn from him to become an adventurous of her own in her own right. First, she she goes back to the castle, but when the next day her father has yet another suitor lined up for her, an Englishman by the name of John Bates, who insists that he be called referred to as Master, Master. Bates. The oh, entire, yeah, I saw, sort of, the sort of that coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can tell how these things. Going to go. She decides to <laughs> make, a run, make a run for it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, since uh, 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 while her dad is a very supportive gentleman, he's just not going to understand that no. she wants to be her own woman and discover the world. And on she her figures own. like have fun with young Ivan Amandic. Amandic. <laughs> yes, that's all. And uh, she decides to just pick up her stuff and get family jewels. And I'm talking about the choker and yeah, yes, of course, her inheritance. <laughs> her that's inheritance right. And uh, make off with her young friend Alotta. Yes, and I like that at this point that the book like skips some time. It kicks into high gear. We see some vignettes of their various adventures as she becomes a, a successful adventuress. Mm-hmm. So her and Lotta are are traveling through Europe, and they and they sort of uh, uh, adapt the formula that they learned from Professor Van Heavensing because where he goes around exploring ancient ruins and, and retrieving artifacts of mystical and uh, uh, historical importance, sometimes known as grave robbery and church looting, but exactly. you know it depends on who Literally. you. So that's the part that they disagree with. So they find that they can embark on a life of similar adventure that is much more like responsible and wholesome, breaking into these jealously guarded, almost like supernatural repositories of of incredible value to rescue these these artifacts and bring them to an audience that will appreciate them so they can Mm. be edified. Yes. So we see them breaking into a number of European museums to rescue the artifacts that have made their way there from various places. As they want to do, yes. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes legally bought from someone who wasn't legally selling them, but it was like, we bought them fair and square. It's not really our problem that the person who was selling them didn't have any right or title to them, but... And they were wonderful adventures as they cat-burgled the British Museum to to rescue the the Benin bronzes and return them back Ah. to uh, historians uh, of the cultures to whose benefit they can be, which was like, it's, it's Indiana Jones turned on its head because you think about it sometimes like the opening scene of Indiana Jones breaking into that temple oh yes breaking into a temple the temple itself is of enormous cultural and historical value yes. like all these traps and it was these, clearly still in use by the locals or at least still built with like technology that can last centuries and still like a spring load that yeah. will still work centuries later is just Amazing, extraordinary yeah. big rolling stones which show remarkable engineering feats of course the challenges that that Bambarella and Alotta face as they have to 
overcome the security systems of these museums is which is no back less in impressive. The locks and stuff. There were no secret laser beams, and I don't believe the uh, British no, Museum right. ever, ever employed pit traps or uh, big <laughs> yes, rolling or pressure boulders. sensors. Yes. <laughs> well. But I think that Esther Friesner actually took some creative liberties with the kind of paranoid Fair. security yes. that they had. And there were some like spiky like fences and dogs and stuff like that to deal with. Until she finds her way, and this is where the story picks up again, she finds her way to one of the most jealously guarded repositories of artifacts, a very a very sinister land called Pennsylvania, yes. where there are rumours of a powerful person living in there, uh, someone who is uh, responsible for the spread of what is called alternative doctrine. Oh dear, yes. His symbol is a hanged vulpine. Like, oh. His symbol is the, the fox noose. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, where she she breaks into the into the home of Count Murdochula. Oh yes, that's a scary man. That like he's yeah. amassed a great amount of wealth and he's using it to run political influence, basically. Yes, exactly through doctrine. the alternative doctrines, which is spread by his servants Alex Jones and his son Hannity. Yeah. But also, she discovers through mass telepathy. This is why he has so much more reach than a mere peddler of falsehoods or two. He can just, like, broadcast his... What's the opposite of benign? Uh, Benevolent, no. uh, Malignant. Malignant, yes. His malignant messages of... uh, Oh, do more M's. Yeah, I was trying to. (laughs) Okay, no, I'll cut you back. Malignant messages of... uh, Masterful mischief and misdirection. Oh, yeah, very good. Masterfully done. Oh, shit, you did that one already. Ah. Yes, out to the general public, out to the general populace, and basically cementing himself into power by broadcasting hate and dissent between uh, the the various groups of his listeners. Yes, and Bambirella and Alotta encounter this, and what are we to do against a power that great? Considering the experience that they've had so far, they realise that this cannot be a mere human power. This cannot be mere wealth that's doing it. He must have some artefact that is endowing him with the ability to project this uh, mass telepathy, and they have to relieve him from it. Now, fortunately, they are two excellent thieves, and they're in perfect position to do this. So uh, off they set, well prepared, with their crossbows and their and their repels and their uh, grappling hooks and everything, and they break into uh, Count Murdochula's stronghold in the Apathian Mountains. Yes. The, uh, uh, that's the, the mountains one. of Apathos. <laughs> yes. Where they make short work of his henchmen, Alex Jones and, uh, and Sean Hannity, quickly fall beneath their knives. And they uh, managed to catch uh, Count uh, Mordocula uh, just as he is laying himself down for his repose. Exactly, because they realise it's not merely a, 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 a trinket that he has that they can relieve him of. He is himself a vampire. Mm, one of great uh, age and power. Uh, yeah. And so they must relieve him of that power. Now, how do they do that? Pitched battle, uh, yeah. where, where they fight the vampire, and unfortunately, a poor Alotta manage, uh, loses her life during this fight uh, as a great sacrifice to... Yeah, to give Bambarella, to Bambarella the opportunity, the, the opportunity to, to kill uh, Mordocula, and in doing so, actually steal his power. Apparently, the way to become one of these creatures is not just to be bit by one and become its servant, but also to kill it, and thereby inadvertently steal its power. Yes. Now, I can imagine why 
uh, uh, when when uh, uh, vampire lore was being written and vampires were being romanticized, this part of apparently vampire lore or uh, vampire reality was kind of left out because yeah, yeah I can imagine that uh, uh, you really don't want that to get become public knowledge. Count Murdochula had that removed from all of the vampire well, I mean, fiction. He kept, it, so. he kept it out of the uh, yeah, the exactly. alternate the, the alternate doctrine. doctrine. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And overwhelmed by the power flooding into her, she falls into a torpor. Yes, sealed in the crumbling wreck of his, his stronghold. Uh, yes. This is roughly halfway through the book, and there's a jump to current-day times. Yes, I was so excited about this. because, I, Like, I, I remember the first time that I saw, like, Interview with the Vampire. I, didn't, I hadn't even read the book, but just the, the idea yeah. of this of these immortals really solidified by the fact that you had these like Elizabethan and Victorian immortals and you get their whole life story and then they're still alive in the 80s. Yeah. Or just awakening as as happened to uh, Lestat, I think his name was. One of them, yes. Tom Cruise, yes. the sexy one. Was he well, Lestat? I don't know which one was Lestat, but yes. Oh, it was the pale one with the fangs and yes. the sort of sexy, like mor- morbid attitude. I mean, they, That's they, the one. They, they touch on that in True Blood as well, when they show a lot of, for a lot of the characters how <laughs> yeah. they, basically at, around the time when they became a vampire and how that how, how that shaped and influenced them and the person, how they became that. But there's also scenes where there's, yeah, flashbacks to back in the 40s or in the 60s or right, whenever, yeah. whenever, whatever it was that they were doing back then and oh. just to show how these same characters lived through those times. I remember there was a scene in uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer season two where after the death of the, the master who was the big bad in season one, like we see his acolyte come to power and hold his speech that we will hold the greatest reign of terror since the crucifixion and I should know because I was there. Yeah. And then fucking Spike walks in and he's the, the sort of blonde haired rockabilly uh, uh, motherfucker yeah. and he goes, okay, if every vampire who claims to be at the crucifixion was there, it would have been busier than Woodstock. Now, I was <laughs> yes. there at Woodstock and then he stakes him and that's such a Nice. <laughs> so back to the modern day and age when a new motorway is being planned through the uh, Apathian Mountains. Yes. <laughs> yes. And in doing so, when they're digging the fundaments for a, a, a new bridge, they found in, in the old ruins of Murdochula's residence, which is completely, completely fallen into disrepair and is yep. now being demolished. They come across the the coffin in which Bamberella lies, where he lies, yeah. lies sleeping. That's where she's actually, been in a centuries-long torpor, yes. her power is growing with in her ample breast. Yes. Uh, so the, the coffin gets opened by a pure, poor, hapless uh, construction worker who immediately gets grabbed, drunk, dry, and it's a bit of a gruesome. It's like it's a scene which we didn't really uh, expect from Bamberella, but no. it's it's basically her the, na- the nature that she's not been aware of now kicking in. She's been in torpor for all these times, and like her body needs to feed, her body needs to eat. And she's, yeah. she's immediately shocked by what she has done and uh, stumbles out into her basically expects that she's for her only a few minutes have passed or she doesn't know she just knows she passed out and oh yeah like she's still mourning for a lot and yes. looking for her body to form a, but a, there's no the house is like gone and she wonders what, what this weird thing is and she just like wanders into the nearest town and her her archaic speech patterns are a little bit yes weird. i did like that but her right. features uh Managed to draw plenty of attraction, especially <laughs> yes. when she's like. I mean, this is a, this happened late in the evening. It was in the in the later part of the season, so it was already going dark. So she stumbles into one of the local watering hole around just around dinner time. So there's plenty of yeah. men who are there sitting uh, appreciative of what they see. There's a bit of a bit of an altercation with the locals, let's say, who seem to think that feasting their eyes is not the only thing that they are entitled to, uh, and gets yeah. macked with a quick and rapid smackdown by Bamberella. Yeah, this is her like discovering her new 
endowments, like she has oh, abilities yes. that she didn't that she didn't know about, that she uh, summons almost instinctually, owing to her vampire nature, the ability to enthrall people. She has the mm-hmm. by the same mechanism that allowed uh, uh, Count Murdocula yes. to practice mass telepathy. Like she can influence a single individual to calm and to listen to her and do her bidding at least in not not, not in the directly you will now do this but acts according to her interests and wishes. And she realizes, I mean, there's certainly a, a metaphor there for a young woman realizing that the influence that she can wield over the world when ah, she does. and especially over young men, although more and more also over young women. Yeah, let's not underestimate that. I do recall that uh, uh, my brother once remarked that when he was a student, he bust tables at, at a gay bar for money during the summer, and then he realized that he got better tips if he opened a few more buttons on his shirt. Like, yeah. yeah. So Makes I'm sure sense. that it yeah. works for, for, for Bambarella as well. Yes, it's not like she has any buttons to open or if there's she's more, kind of run out if there's like, any more room for her to open up eventually like, you just max out and then it, it starts becoming cleavage and becomes well, cleavism well, once, I guess once the be- well you, you have this open face jacket which is like never meet so I guess that's ultimate cleavage is that just, jackets have buttons and you don't have to seal them right or right what but we, like I mean you have a jacket which is cut in such a way that it can't actually close oh that it can't possibly yes. yeah I don't uh, know what they're called uh, I guess a cape at that point? Well, does cape have sleeves? Good point. All um, right, let's get into this. What are the different forms of attire that you can wear that you can't shut? I would, I would call it a... I would call chaps. It a, a, oh, yeah. Chaps is one true, that you can't true. close. Yes. All right, what else have we got? So That's it's like scarves. chest chaps. Oh. Scarves? Okay. You We're probably going to get some tweets from mathematicians who <laughs> say that scarves are not by definition. Yes, scarves are non-topological. Uh, sorry, they're topologically uniform. They're not... They don't contain a hole. And, like, at least chaps contain holes. Okay. Is that yes? When I'm thinking about it, yes, they oh they contain several in fact. Yes, two, three, one for each leg and one for the torso. Well, it's a belt, so that technically opens. So yeah, oh, okay, yes, yeah, yeah you're right. Anyway, Bambarella moves out of the uh, little town and goes into the big wild world, where she soon discovers basically the twenty first the twenty first century. Yeah, and she has to figure out how things work, how what what they do for money. She uses a little bit of her old skills at first, but also now the new ones. She she finds finds that she has a, a, as a new vampire, she has become very proficient in the art of feng shui. <laughs> yes. It's basically pushing other people's furniture around and then charging for it. That's it, yeah, exactly. And uh, Oh, I don't mean to be mean about Feng Shui. I'm sure that it's a great art and obviously uh, very supportive. Yes. After what she learns that uh, she can do uh, to influence people's mental state, let, let's call it. Yes. She she starts going into a advisory position. She learns about the way the, the modern media works. There's the internet. Uh, and uh, soon she has a uh, YouTube channel called Bambarellas Come As You Are, uh, <laughs> yes. advising, uh, advising uh, people on sexual help, interest, and relationship prob- uh, issues. I love that so much, because while she has the she has all the endowments in order to produce oh, yes. content that, that captivates eye the catching. masses through it, yes, it's very eye-catching, yeah. <laughs> and she can certainly look you in the eye and say, see me. But yeah, like the first viral, sorry, bam-viral video oh, yes. Go uh, that, uh, that summoned millions and millions to were Bambirella's Come As You Are yep. is about simple sexual health. It's yes. about hygiene and the role of responsible, uh, safe sex and how cool it is and how much fun it can be to be uh, to be consenting uh, together and how hot foreplay can be. And how much one sh- uh, should be oneself and yes. accept that. Body and positivity. Pos- and all sorts of that. Now, From- I did wonder if there was a little bit like... Body positivity, that does seem like something that vampires would be into. A fuller-figured person has 
more blood in their bodies. I suppose, so maybe makes sense. Yeah, we don't bit. really see her drain many people. I'm sure she found another source. But yes, I mean, thanks for the memories, uh, memories, and you know this. <laughs> yeah. uh, and she starts the uh, the pleasure activism movement. Yes, I like that, uh, which gets her invited to like larger pride, queer pride celebrations uh-huh. throughout the world. Now, that one is a, is a little bit difficult for her because they tend to be like daytime events, right? Which is tricky for for a vampire. But she soon realizes that the only sensitivity that she really has that is super deadly and was to uh, Count Murdocula is direct sunlight. Mm. Indirect sunlight, for example, through a prism, is not fun. such a problem. No. And what do you get when you run sunlight through a prism? You get a rainbow, which oh. suits very well. So she's got yes. all of these like prism like umbrellas and just cast herself into rainbows all the time. Although that does come up in a video that she releases on YouTube called Unjustly Imprismed. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which she presents on the Connie Lingus uh, talk show. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, it's not as scientifically accurate as Bambarella likes to pursue. The Cunny Lingus's talk show has previously discussed the topic of psychic aureole. Oh, yes, well, something that uh, Bambarella would obviously know a few things about, having her own psychic abilities, but she quickly yeah. debunks the psychic aureole. <laughs> exactly, like, she's more about the, the sort of lifestyle. She's more of a glampire. Very much a glampire. Yeah, leading to her brand of fun dead media. Yes, working on an important undead line to, in order to get uh, her <laughs> yes. book published, The Ethical Slut. Uh, <laughs> yes, on which a movie was based. <laughs> almost, it's almost impossible to imagine that would be the basis for the movie Bambo First Blood Part 2. So she takes a, uh, a, a page from the book of a, a very popular men's magazine, a producer man by the man of you, Jorgen. Oh, that's, uh, that's... Sorry, it took me a second. And she, I didn't realize that you were talking about Hugh Jorgen. Yeah, yes, that's Hugh right. Jorgen, the one who owns the, uh, the, 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 play, the Play Guy magazine. Yeah, that's right, who, who falls under her thrall, and so she becomes co-owner of Thrall Mart. Uh, and using that money, she uh, uh, buys a big uh, property and calls it Bambarella's Mansion. That seemed like a very obvious one. It but, is. But she realizes that for all her success... Her messages of uh, uh, personal health and responsibility and evidence-based medicine are are not spreading as wide as some of the more salacious topics that she's oh, that she's using yeah. as a vehicle. And she realized that there's much in the way that there was the uh, the Count Mordocula in her day. Yeah. There are similar forces of evil at work today. Yes. Fox News is not merely a tattoo on a on an old person. Fox News is a real thing still yes. out there. Apparently, it survived its creator of Mordocula, and it's now in an even more insidious, widespread form with actually not just one evil power behind it, but right. actually a, a whole cabal if you will, of people who are working towards that same old nefarious purpose. And she realizes that just like YouTube and just television are not enough to counter this force, these anti-facts people out yes. there. The anti-factus? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which triggers her vamp ire. Oh, uh, that's when things go uh, bad for these people. Yes, because they underestimated her. She is, technically speaking, a boobermensch. Oh, very much. Yeah, now the, the the rest of the book was a very satisfying romp of revenge against these, uh, these evildoers and defeating misinformation, alternative doctrine with actual science and facts and making use of powers that regular people don't possess the ability to enthrall them, the ability to drain people of blood. It was a bit of a, a shoddy horror kind of 
it how to was. go about that. <laughs> show the horror picture show. <laughs> yeah. uh, although it, I did like the scene at the end where we are led to believe that uh, a new companion she finds by the name of Mona Lotti is uh, <laughs> the spiritual incarnation of her old friend, uh, Alotta Horgasm. Uh, I liked that. I mean, it was a, a bit of a callback to like Dracula lore and also suggesting exactly, that there, was a, there will be a world after Bambarella. I thought that was very wise of her to realize that she was an instrument of improvement and of cleansing, but the world is going to belong to somebody else. Even an immortal has to realize that. Yes. I mean, immortals always have, have, have a little bit the, we are on the stage, but they're not really part of the show. And it's like, exactly. you know, they move, they move along with it, but they can only react to it. They're not really... They're not driving the world yes, anymore. They, that's for the that's they, for the living and for yes. the young. So, like uh, like Mona Lotta, she realized that this is one of the people who is going to shepherd in the new world until they they hand it over to a new generation themselves. Them, yeah. teach them well and let them lead the way. Oh yes, I liked it. I also yeah, it was me a great too. Book. It kind of it kind of went all over the place, but yeah. I think it, I I mean, think it, it held it together. It kind of followed the line about the life of a vampire, and uh, well, the girl became vampire, became internet celebrity, positive yeah, sex movement, I like uh, all I, kinds of things like that. Yeah, I really enjoyed "Come as You Are." I think that's such a it's such a great like body positive and and, and, song, and yeah. diverse and inclusive brand. And I I, I loved the bad guy. I loved uh, uh, Mordokula, who was like <laughs> yeah. he, he seems at first he seemed a little bit unlikely, but then especially with the whole Fox News thing, uh, that's like it turned out to be a, an interesting yeah, adversary. You, you it was really a like, uh, foretelling something that was to come, you know? It was like foretelling of a greater evil to, oh, yet to yeah, come. Oh, yeah, it was certainly portentous. Yes. <laughs> How are you going to rate, rate this, this book? book? Always a challenge. Okay, uh, so we, we went over... we should stake our reputation on it. <laughs> oh, very uh, good. <laughs> So how many centuries did we cross? She started out in the sort of 17th century. It's sort of 17th like. century or something. So let's so that comes four, about four, four, four hundred out of 400. 400? I, ooh, out of 400. Let's see. We got that pretty easy this time. Is there any, do we have any interesting numbers in the Sometimes, 300 range? We're not at the 420 and, and 69, so no, all of our usual go-tos no, aren't accessible like, yeah, to us. What are we supposed to be doing no, with that? I think we should give it 366? I think that's a good number. That leaves enough room for yes, uh, uh, activities uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. getting a lot of attention drawn to it, at least. <laughs> yeah, so what do we have in store for our readers next week? Ah, next week's book is an anthology. It's by uh, Edward G. Talbot, a funny pair of shorts. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at Cover My Ass, where baffling books are reviewed but not read by yours truly. My name is Kaki. And I'm Kay. And remember, remember the only judge book by its cover. Yes, cover. Yes, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> a pair of shorts is not a context. It's more like a, like a duo, a, a dilogy, a bilogy. A bilogy, twin metal in a, a, a double feature. A double feature. Uh, much like Bambarella has yes, uh, sticking yes. out of her. Very prominent double features. <laughs> <laughs>